It's good to be here. Uh, I've known Q for a long time, uh, Pastor Q. Uh, and uh, I always looked up to him as a more spiritual man. Sometimes we wonder whether it was adrenaline or Holy Spirit, but uh, <laughs> uh, really, uh, God has used him greatly. And uh, since the seminary, day, seminary days, we've been pretty far from each other, but uh, from the distance, um, I have really watched what, how God has been using him, uh, not only uh, as, a, as a pastor of a local church, but what God has done in this entire area. So it's been a, a really tremendous thing to watch. Uh, I don't think, for example, the grace retreat that he started, uh, I don't think there's anything like that. So I really, when I was in New Jersey, I really wanted to bring it to New Jersey uh, because the youth are hurting a lot more than they were in your generation. Uh, he never did, although I tried to coax him many times. So now uh, I am right now serving as an associate pastor uh, in California, but I am supposed to uh, plant a church, uh, hopefully this year. My senior pastor is thinking 2019, but uh, I'm praying that it'll be this year. Uh, that we'll at least get the groundwork going. Uh, and uh, Lord willing, maybe God will bring it in, into California. So, um, you know, when I was, uh, I don't know when it was, but when I was com uh, just between the time that he picked me up and uh, for, I guess, an hour or so, something that, um, what's his name? Bill Johnson said, I don't listen to his sermons, okay? But I don't, I mean, you know. Anyway, it, does, it doesn't matter. That's not important, okay? But anyway, <laughs> I usually don't listen to him, okay? But something that he said a long time ago uh, just came to my mind, and I thought maybe it was for you. He was talking about Mount Zion and how Mount Zion is so important. And his point was this. It's not that Mount Zion was the uh, tallest mountain. Right in even their neighborhoods, in surrounding nations that were taller mountains. Obviously, you know, there are many more, much taller mountains all over the world. But his point was, it is not the height of the mountain that was important, but what God was doing there then made it the mountain of mountains, okay? And uh, as you look at the Hope Church, it is not the largest church, okay? And uh, we, in our human eyes, we look at, the external things. That's just how we are. That's just, you know, that's the fallen nature. We don't look at the heart of things. We just about always, unless, I mean, even Samuel, the spiritual man, unless, until God sort of kind of hit him in the back of his head and said, not that way, okay? He was looking at the external things. You know, you know what I'm talking about, right? When God called him to anoint the king, he was looking at the external things. And God had to remind him, I do not look at the external things. I look at the heart. It's what God is doing there. And uh, I am absolutely convinced that what God has been doing at Hope Church is very, very important. And uh, uh, I think as the leaders of the church, not only Pastor Q, but as the leaders of the church, you, I think it is very important that you understand what you are doing is very important. You know, a long time ago when I was... Uh, um, uh, you know, when I was studying to be a pastor and in the early days, one of the verses that God gave me was this one particular verse where Paul says, as an expert builder, I built a church. And that somehow, I mean, there were several verses that God gave me, but that was one of the verses. And then I knew that there is an expert way of building a church. It's not this haphazard thing, which, which is how we work. Right out of seminary, we, you know, seminary doesn't teach anything. Pastor Mimi, am I right? It doesn't, they don't, seminary doesn't teach anything, okay? It's just a lot of stuff in your head, but when you come out, you don't know what you're doing, typically. Uh, <coughs> if they're honest, they will admit it. But anyway, uh, but I realized that there is an expert way. So whatever I did from that point on, it was really, I always had in mind, I, I wanted to create a blueprint that a that can be duplicated. There, there's got to be an expert way of building a church. You know, it's like prototype. And then anybody can basically take that blueprint and rebuild it. OK? 
Okay, and I think I had it, but, but anyway, that's, uh, I still have it in, in here. But anyway, that's not all that important. And that, I'm not saying that's what God is doing here. Okay? But what God is doing here is important, and that is between Pastor, Pastor uh, Q and uh, God and the you know, people here, but really to understand what you're doing is more than what is about this particular church here. Okay? And uh, uh, I think when we understand how important what we are doing is important, how, how important what we are doing is, then we, we are able to put our heart into it. Okay? So I just hope you understand that. Uh, you know, Pastor Keith says uh, recently he feels like sort of the activities of the Holy Spirit is kind of slow down here, and maybe he got tired, and uh, I don't know. But I, you know, I am uh, still waiting for the revival to come. That has been my, do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, you know, Bill Bright, the late Bill Bright said, uh, shortly before he passed away, um, you know, he had given up hope on America. You know who Bill Bright is? You know, the founder of CCC? Okay. He said he gave up on hope on America because as God was increasing his work all over the world, more and more, America was going down further. So at some, some point he said, I'm not going to focus on America. I'm going to just focus on what God is doing internationally in mission works. And this is when he was in his 70s. And uh, at that time, he had a visitation from the Lord. He had, I think, several visitations, but this was a major one. The whole CCC movement started although CCC is not charismatic in nature, with, with the visitation from the Lord. As he was praying and struggling with this college ministry, he had a visitation from the Lord. He had this vision of college campuses being set on fire, and shortly after that, uh, this fledgling ministry in UCLA blew up to hundreds, and it just from there it went all over, the, all over the world. And he had a visitation, another major visitation, right around that time when he had given up his hope in America, and uh, God basically said, the greatest revival that the world has ever seen is coming. And after he received that uh, visitation, revelation from the Lord, uh, he fasted for 40 days. You know, not the Korean water-only fast, but like juice fast. He was a sick man. He was a dying man as well. Okay? And he fasted for 40 days every year for seven, seven years until he passed away. So there are a lot of charismatic voices that talk about revival coming in. You know, I put weight in there too, but when I hear from a man like Bill Bright, you know, who's not even charismatic, you know, and, and uh, you see his life, I am still waiting, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm waiting for a revival in, uh, in California. Uh, my senior pastor wanted to send me to Korea. Oh my gosh! I don't want to go to Korea. <laughs> I'm waiting for a revival here. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so uh, that's a little bit of a, uh, 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 I guess, uh, preface to what I want to talk about. Uh, once again, just you you have to understand what how important what you are doing is. Otherwise, things are not even exciting, right? Are you with me? I mean, why would you give your time? You know, church leadership is difficult. You know how difficult being a senior pastor is? You've got to motivate people to give their time and money and get nothing in return. <laughs> and do it happily. Okay. But if you understand how important the work is, people will die for it. And you really have to understand it. Anyway, let's talk about uh, leadership. Would you open to um, <clears throat> Genesis 32, verses 22 to, what is it? 32. A familiar passage about Joseph, uh, Jacob. The same night he arose, this is Jacob, and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children, and crossed the fort of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. 
when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip, his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he's having an encounter with God. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, um, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. Amen. John Maxwell, the guru of uh, leadership, said, Everything rises and falls with leadership, and that is true. Leadership is so important. You have a strong leadership, you'll have a strong organization. You have a weak leadership, you'll have a weak organization. You have a healthy leadership, you have a healthy, organi healthy leadership, healthy organization. You have a sick leadership, you have a sick organization. Everything literally falls and rises and falls with leadership. Now, uh, if, you are, if you do not feel you are a strong leader, leadership is a skill. Anybody can learn. I realized that I needed to learn leadership when I became an EM pastor. When I was a youth pastor, I mean, you know, they're like average 10 years younger than I am, so whatever, it was easy, okay? But when I became an EM pastor, they were like only like four or five years younger than I am. That's like, how do I lead these guys who are my peers, basically? And then I realized I, I really never had leadership training. So I read a lot of books. I read tons of books on leadership. People laughed at me. It's like, oh, don't you even know how to lead? Well, I don't know. So I'm going to study, okay? And picked up a lot of things. Um, so if you want to be a better leader, there are tons of books you can read. John Maxwell's books are great. Um, but this weekend, that's not what I'm going to talk about. Okay? I want to talk about the heart. A pastor that I know uh, shared his episode one time. He said, he was going somewhere. He was in such a rush. He had to run to the train station. This is, you know, back in the train days, okay? He had to run to the train station, and he barely made it. So he sat, and the train began to move. Only then he realized he got on the wrong train. It was going the opposite direction. The moral of the story was, no matter how hurried you are, make sure you get on the right train, Okay? But it's like that. If your heart is not in the right place, you may be going fast the wrong way. More important than the skill, if the person is going the wrong way, if that person's heart is wrong, I'd rather that person be very unskilled, very incompetent. He will do less damage. The more skills you have, if your heart is in the wrong place, you are doing more damage. So more than anything else, we want to focus on the heart today. Now, when we read the Bible, we find that God has an unusual choice of leaders. He does not pick people that we think we would typically pick. Consider the 12 disciples. These future world changers. They were nondescript people, people who would have completely disappeared from history if Jesus had not picked them. These are like very average, what we may call lower middle class people. They were not poor people necessarily, but absolutely common people. This is the construction worker, you know. Another is the person who owns a little mom and pop store down the street. These are the people Jesus picked, completely nondescript. And uh, the way they acted was so juvenile, it is almost embarrassing to hear their conversation, which we hear in the Bible. As Jesus is heading toward his crucifixion, they are debating who's the greatest. I'm better than you. I mean, so juvenile. These people in their probably 20s and 30s, 
I mean, this is really, really embarrassing. And that's, that's these people. Very, very nondescript people. The only person who we would consider a natural leader among the people who became leaders was St. Paul. He was already a leader. But at the time that Jesus picked him, he was an enemy of the gospel. A violent man. Not a person we would choose to be the leader of the church. But in every single case, Jesus said, I chose you. You know those verses? That's uh, Pastor Q's favorite verse. You did not choose me, I chose you. And in St. Paul's case as well, God says, this is the instrument that I chose. Do you know that God chose you? Come on. Do you hear? If you became a deacon or elder or whatever, did you hear or do you hear Jesus saying, I choose you? You have to hear it. It's not some random people that chose you. It's not just Pastor Q or whatever the leadership that chose you. You have to hear from the Lord. It is God's call for you. God chose you. We can go on and on and on about different kinds of people that God chose. David, teenager, so insignificant that his father forgot about him. Moses, 80-year-old wash-up man who was waiting for his death. I mean, just, just weird cases. But these are the people that God chose. So when it comes to Christian leadership, we can deduce a couple of conclusions. One is, God looks for different things than what we look for. We look for the typical things. We all do, unless you are super spiritual. Okay, we all do. Is that guy tall? Handsome? Is she beautiful? What college did he or she graduate from? What degree? Did he go to college at all? How much money does he make? What is the social status? These are the typical things. And a lot of the churches, these people will become the leaders. And they will mess up the church. But God looks for something different. As we talked about earlier, what did God say to Samuel? People look at the appearance, but I look at the heart. God looks for different things. So that is one thing. God looks for different things than what we look for. Number two, we can also conclude that if God chooses, anyone can be a leader. (laughs) Oh my gosh, in my early days of ministry, it was so hard. I had no idea what I was doing. (laughs) It was so hard. Many, many times I actually prayed to God, Lord, you got the wrong guy. I mean, for years, years. I mean, it really was because of uh, my mentor, who's my, my boss right now. That's how we met. You know, I looked for mentors all over the place. Nobody would want to be a mentor. Okay? They didn't understand what mentoring was. Okay? Uh, I visited one Korean church, and uh, he thought I was trying to take over his church. So he, I mean, he was scared of me. It's like, it's just really, people are weird. So, but... Pastor Keith, who's my boss right now, uh, I called him up. He came to our church one time to preach, and I heard about him. And uh, I called him and said, would you be my mentor? I said, okay, I'll do it. I mean, he didn't really mentor me, mentor me. He was in Toronto. I was in New Jersey. And every six months, I get so burnt out. You know, I mean, I had an alcoholic pastor, and uh, you know, I was so burnt out. I wanted to give up. I didn't feel like anything was going right. Church, I didn't think it was growing. I, I didn't. I didn't think I was doing anything. And my fundamental question was, does does my life matter? 
am I making any difference here for all that I do? And I didn't, think, I didn't feel like I was making a difference. And then when I got so depressed, I would call him up. And I said, I'm so depressed. And I pick up the phone, and he'll ask me, like, okay, how are you doing in this area? How are you doing here? How are you doing here? He'll listen to me for, like, 30 minutes. And he's, he said, Danny, you are doing better than you think. And I'll get encouraged. And I'll go for another six months, at which point I'll get so depressed. <laughs> I'll call him up. It was the same thing for five years. Same thing. He will ask me a bunch of questions, and he'll say, you are doing better than you think. <laughs> that got me going until I got some muscle on my legs, and then I could stand on my own. Okay? It's, it's amazing how little encouragement can you know, help you go. But anyway, my point here is, if God chooses, anyone can be a leader. So the saying is true. God does not call the qualified. God qualifies the called. You heard of that saying before, right? It is true. It does not simply mean that God calls you so you're qualified. Yes, that is true too. But if God calls you, God will train you. David, when he first started, he used stones to kill Goliath. Do you ever hear him using stones any, anymore since then? You don't, right? He became a very, very effective swordsman. He became a very good leader. He was trained. So God will put you through training. I never thought I was a leader. I never held a leadership position in my life, I don't think, until I became a pastor, so to speak. I mean, a little bit before that, but... I was terrible. I, I killed every small group I led in college. I mean, like, every single one of them. We started with, like, 12, end with two. <laughs> okay. They put me as a large group leader. Oh, my gosh. I was horrible. Okay. I mean, I had no idea what I was doing. And then when I became a pastor, I was thrown into leadership that I had to. And then now one of my strengths is leadership. It's really weird, okay? You can't be a leader. Anybody can be a leader. So, these two conclusions. Number one, God looks for different things from what we look for. Number two, if God chooses, anybody can be a leader. Can you say that? If God chooses, anyone, literally anyone. We have, you know, I'm in charge of all the small groups in our church, all the men's small groups. There are like 40 of them. Our small groups are small, okay? Like average size, like seven, okay? But uh, it's a pretty large church. I'm in charge of all the small groups. And uh, my God, you look at some guys and you're like, he's not a leader. He's not. He's <laughs> They're scared of people. They cannot carry any small conversation. You say hello, and he says hello. He doesn't know what to say next. (laughs) (laughs) But we are working to make him a leader, and he will. He will. You may not be a spectacular leader who can lead 100 people, okay? But he will be a leader. Anybody can be a leader. And whoever God chooses, he will train you. You will. Okay, have Faith in God. So, these two conclusions lead to two responses from us. One is humility. I am nobody. It's not me. It's not about me that I'm chosen. The person that thought was a rightful leader, appearance-wise, in David's time was Saul. You know the story. Head and shoulder taller than everybody. He looked like a leader. But he was a proud man. It was all about him. And God, the Bible says, regretted choosing him. So the response that we have is humility. That nothing that we do or are is what qualifies us, but simply the call of God. For whatever reason, God chose you. That's all there is. And second, 
is confidence. That although I am not qualified, I don't know what I'm doing, whatever, you will. Okay? If God chose you, you will. You may make some mistakes and, oh my gosh, if I'm not careful, end up hurting some people. Because when you're in leadership, if you make mistakes, you hurt people. You understand what I'm talking about? Okay. But, yeah, I do think about my youth kids and say, oh my gosh. I hope they're still Christians. (laughs) But you will. So, in this session, I want to talk about, you know, I looked at relationships, basically. That's the direction I decided to work through. And uh, I, I want to look at a leader's relationship with God, which is, which is where everything starts. And I want to look at one particular aspect, and that is you must be broken to be used by God. You must be broken to be used by God. Before God can use you, you must be broken. God will not use the unbroken ones. That's Saul, King Saul. If God will use you, he will first break you. You look at every single person that God used. Abraham, oh my gosh. Do you want to go through what Abraham went through? Isaac, the Bible is very quiet about Isaac, but do you want to be that, like, whatever, 17-year-old kid bound up with your dad holding a dagger? You will be traumatized for life. And my feeling is that he was. <laughs> because he, you read I, you know, things about Isaac, he's so passive. In that family, his wife wears pants. Wears pants. Rebecca <laughs> uh, controls everything in, in that household. I think he was traumatized from that moment. Okay? <laughs> Price to pay to follow God. <laughs> Jacob, that's a story we, we read. We will look at later. I mean, you look, just, you look at anyone. David, after God chooses him, he goes through like 13 years of runaway life. Break him to the bone. Pulverize the guy before God uses him. Anyone God uses, you must be broken. Unbroken leaders, unbroken Christian leaders are actually dangerous. They are not just neutral If you're a Christian leader and you're not broken, you are danger to the people of God and to God's kingdom. So many Korean churches broke up. It is really embarrassing. It's very, very embarrassing. Because I don't see that in black churches. I don't see that in Hispanic. Sometimes they break up, but not like Korean church. It's It's like a ritual. It's a rite of passage. You know, it's just like, oh my God, it's so embarrassing. As a people, it's embarrassing. Okay. Why? If you look at look within, it's almost without failure the unbrokenness of the leader. Whether it is the pastor or the elders or both of them. At the core, it is the egos clashing that breaks up the church. Unbroken, and what is the result? So many people who are in the church, they get hurt. Many, many people just leave the church entirely. Unbroken Christian leaders are danger. They are not neutral. They are dangerous to the kingdom of God. Okay? So if you're not broken, either ask God to, be, God to break you or leave. Do not be a leader. Do not be a leader. Do not hold that position. Because you will hurt people. You'll damage the church of God. <clears throat> so we see 12 disciples, all failures. It is an amazing thing that their failures and foibles are so openly written in the Bible. Have you thought about that? I mean, they're like all there. And especially Peter. He's just bumbling like a fool. He's like, he, I mean, just all these stupid things. Just think about this. When the Gospels were written, these people are still alive. 
They could, and, and they were the authorities of the church. They could have squashed those things. Don't write about it. Don't you edit your story? We do, don't we? When we tell our stories, we edit the story a little bit so that I look okay. <laughs> but that's what we do. But these people's stories are all there. And you know what's the amazing thing? Scholars believe that the gospel of Mark was Peter's version of the story of Jesus. That Peter told the story to Mark and he wrote it. And that reveals that they were so broken. They, these disciples, were so broken by what they, how they failed that they, I mean, you know, they were fighting about who's the biggest guy as Jesus is being led to the cross, I mean, the day before, but. And uh, in the hour of Jesus' greatest need, everybody bolted. I mean, they were so broken, right? But at the same time, so convinced of the love of God that, God, you are so messed up. Okay? You're an abject sinner, failure, complete failure, but I still love you. I still choose you. Their lives were so transformed, completely, at the cellular level, that they wanted these stories to be told about their failures. It really reveals something about how broken these 12 disciples were. Nothing to hide. They don't hide anything. And St. Paul, same thing. He says, I am the worst of all sinners. He doesn't hide his past sin. That shows they were so broken. At the same time, so confident of who they were in God. And it is for that reason God was able to use them so exceedingly. They didn't, their egos didn't get in the way. What does it mean to be broken? <clears throat> Brokenness does not mean you walk around depressed with your head bowed down. Okay. Oh, man, I was depressed for three days when I started fasting. <laughs> it was not the lack of food. Usually when I fast, I still drink coffee. Okay. It's terrible for you. Don't do it. Okay. It ruins your stomach, they say. But I think my stomach got strong because I, I can drink coffee, you know. But my gosh, when I cut up the and but this church does specific things, you know. It's not that hard, you know. Like three days of soup and salad, two days of salad, and three days of just juice, right? So fasting I'm used to, so it's not all that not that hard. I never like it, but it's not that hard. But oh my gosh, when I cut that caffeine first three days, I'm so depressed. <laughs> I am chemically dependent. <laughs> but anyway, it doesn't mean you walk around depressed. That's not what it means to be broken. Brokenness does not mean you have no self-esteem and have people walk all over you. That's not brokenness. Do you see any of these people, are they like that? No. They know who they are. Brokenness does not mean you don't think for yourself and follow whatever other people say. I know some people like that. They don't want any responsibility. They come to me. Just tell me what to do. <laughs> I usually don't like that kind of response. You're an adult. You go think for yourself. And like they don't know what to do. Oh, this burden of having to make a decision. I wish they would do that with marriage. Just tell me who to marry. That'll solve so many pastors' problems. But when it comes to that, they don't do that. <laughs> Brokenness in Christ means you know you have failed completely and stand by God's grace alone. Brokenness means you know there is nothing good in you, but God still loves you and chose you and still chooses you. Brokenness means you have nothing to prove 
because you know you are a failure. This is what the Bible calls justification by faith. That's a theological language, but that's what it means. There's nothing good in me. Do you, do you understand the gospel? When you became a Christian, when you said, I'm a sinner, I can be saved, not like the Catholic Church, a little bit of my work, mixture of a little bit of my work, you know, faith, what Jesus did, we mix it up well, and then I get saved. It's not like that, right? Okay, we are at a black church. Please give me some response. Okay. Okay. That's not what it is, right? You're with me, right? I mean, you understand this, right? We believe we are saved by faith alone. Not that faith is anything we do. It's not act, what... It's actually by grace, through faith, right? It's entirely by grace what God has done. You know what that means? That means you're a failure. I mean, it's hard for me to I mean, accept that in my heart also because, you know, so this, this thing, this pride lifts up its head all the time. I understand it. But at least conceptually, we have to understand it. Do you understand that? You know what that means? That means you have nothing to prove. You have nothing to prove. When you said, I received Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord, I said, I failed. I utterly failed in my life. There's nothing to prove. That is really freeing, you know. I have nothing to prove. I can do anything. I don't have to prove myself to anyone. I can just serve God in whatever way I can. Not for approval of people. I failed there already anyway. Anyway, anyway we'll talk about it more later. <coughs> um, so we failed. We utterly failed, but God picked us up and restored us. That's what it means to be broken. Not about me, all about God. Not by my works but by grace. I'm broken in myself, but I am restored in God. That's what it means to be broken. It's all about God. So in the passage that we read, we see Jacob. He's a good case study. He always had a chip on his shoulder. He was born as a younger guy. He's a mama's boy. In this masculine society, he's a homebody. You know, he loves cooking. Oh, he's a millennial. Anyway, all right. <laughs> anyway, he loves cooking. He's, you know, he's close to his mom. His brother is this man's man, he's hunting, and, you know, father's boy and all that, right? He's always a chip on his shoulder. So you know his story. He, he cheats his way through life. He cheats his brother. He cheats his father. He cheats his father-in-law. Oh, my gosh. I mean, my gosh, he just, he had, he, he had to prove something. And finally, he becomes a very, very successful man. Huge flock. He becomes a rich man. I mean, he really, literally is a self-made man. Out of nothing, he becomes a real success. He, you know, now, he's something. But at that po- point, he has to meet the biggest crisis of his life. You know, you know this story is familiar. Okay. He has to meet Esau. And this is the biggest scare. Because last time he saw Esau, which was many years ago, Esau was sharpening his knife to kill him. And, you know, Esau has this whole army, a lot of guys following him. And this is the crisis. And you know the story. That through this thing, his hip going out is that his picture of brokenness. It is broken right there. All that you try to do, it still did not work. Completely broken at that point. He's so desperate. He hangs on to God, really. Unless you bless me. Lord, I'm at the end of my rope. There's nothing I can do. I don't know what to do. I may die tomorrow. I may lose everything tomorrow. Unless you bless me, I just cannot let you go. So he holds on to God with all his life. He's broken right there. And then God gives him a new name. 
which becomes Israel, which is very fascinating. That becomes the name of a nation. How would you like to have a name of a nation after this guy? <laughs> it's really interesting. Okay, whole Israel history is very interesting. Now, what we know is Jacob, from his birth, was supposed to become the patriarch. That was God's assignment for him. But, but until he was broken, he never stepped into his identity and destiny. It was only after he was broken, he was able to be used. This is the paradox of the gospel. Until we die, we don't begin to live. Until we are really broken, we don't get to be used by God. That's the picture. So are you broken? Have you been broken before Christ and said, Lord, I'm a sinner. I have completely failed in my life. I'm not worthy to be called your servant. Have you been so broken that you have no confidence in yourself? Have you been so broken that you can share your weaknesses and failures openly? Or do you have some pride left and you're still fighting for your honor? Are you in Christian service? Ultimately, for your glory. Behind every broken church, you have these people. How do you know you're broken? Let me give you some marks of brokenness. Number one, <clears throat> you're not loud. Let me explain what I mean. You do not trumpet your opinions. I know some people have loud voice. Okay, that's not what I mean. Okay, you don't trumpet your opinions. Your opinions do not have to be accepted. That's a broken person. If you ask most Korean Christians who is sort of the pastor par excellence, they would choose Han Gyeongjae. Okay, I mean he's like the pope. he passed away, but he was like he was like the pope of Korea, not pope in the powerful sense, but everyone looked everybody looked up to him. He was like a saint. It's amazing. And he, he actually, this is not an encouragement for you, Pastor Q, but, uh, you know, Korean elders are really bad. <laughs> really bad. A bunch of unbroken people. It's bad, right? They think it's their job to torture the pastor. I mean, it's like really terrible. Okay. It's, a, it's really horrible. The whole dynamic there is like so messed up. So, anyway, let me talk, not talk about that. <laughs> And uh, he came out of many elders meeting crying. It's a well-known fact. But he, I mean, he's just broken. He was just going through further brokenness. And then God just used him in such a glorious way. But uh, that's not what I want to talk about, about this part, particular part. Uh, he, this, the, he was, there was this famous phrase that he used all the time. Because, you know, he had a bunch of elders, I don't know, like 50 of them or something like that. Right? Bunch of elders, and everybody has their opinion, right? You know, everybody's loud, you know, they think they're something, you know. Not everybody, probably half and half. Okay? Half of them are good elders, half of them are terrible elders, okay? So, all these things going on. And uh, they will say things that are just completely off, right? all coming out of their ego, and they'll, whatever, they heard something, they'll all say crazy things. And, you know, other elders are rolling their eyes, you know. Crazy what this guy is saying. And uh, Pastor Han always had this phrase. You have a point. <laughs> he never ever disagreed. It was amazing. He never ever said, you're wrong. He always said, 
ah, you have a point. Because of course, everybody has a point. <laughs> so the point is, a broken person, you voice your opinion, of course. You don't want to have a dictatorial, you know, Kim Jong-un, you fall asleep during the meeting, you get killed by a rocket. You heard, you heard about that story, right? You did not hear this story? This is totally irrelevant, but I'll tell you. <laughs> you know who Kim Jong-un is, right? So some general was dozing up while, while he was giving his speech. He killed him. You did not know this? And I don't know if it was this particular guy, but how did he kill him? He bound the guy there and shot a rocket. Crazy. Anyway. <coughs> the point is, <laughs> huh? <laughs> Q needs a rocket. <laughs> Get in some uh, firecrackers. All right. So a broken person, of course, you share your opinion. But at the end, if your opinion is not taken, then what? If you're broken, it's okay. It's completely okay. If you're not broken, you will go home really mad. Who do you think I am? You're not broken. And it's those people that create problems. It's all about their ego at the end. It's not about God. It's not for the greater good. It's not for the Congress. It's about them. My opinion was not taken. So that's one. Your opinions do not have to be accepted. You do not trumpet your opinion. Number two, you submit to leaders and to each other. St. Francis told this, not, not told, this famous story about St. Francis of Assisi. He had a bunch of people who wanted to be his disciples because he was the biggest thing going at that time. Everybody wanted to be his disciples. So he, he had a bunch of people, and he, he said, okay. He gave them a carrot each and said, plant it the wrong way. Okay, he said, plant, what's the wrong way? Or whatever, okay, whatever is the wrong way, okay? I guess the green part in. Okay. I guess this, that would be the wrong way, right? Okay, plant it that way. And he went away. <coughs> and they said, this is crazy. What is he saying? So everybody planted the right way. Okay. Except for one guy. He came back and he chose only that one guy who chose it, who planted the wrong way. And he said, if you cannot obey a leader who is visible to you, how can you obey God who is not visible? It's bogus. So, submission. Submit to leadership and each other. If a person does not submit to leadership, that person should not be a leader, ever. Because that person is not broken. He will, or she will cause problem. Number three, you are quick to admit wrong. If you have a very hard time admitting wrong, you are still not broken. Be like the 12 disciples. Their faults are all of, all the Christians read it every day. Oh, Peter. <laughs> okay, it's all over there. You're quick to admit you're wrong. You know what's amazing? You know, in, in Galatians, Paul says, I rebuke Peter in public, right? You know that story? If you don't know it, he did, okay? At that time, Paul was like down there junior in the hierarchy of the church. I mean, there was no written hierarchy, but Peter was it. Peter was the, the apostle, you know, leader among the apostles. Paul, I mean, historically, it, the whole thing changes, but at that time, Paul did not fit into the twelve. Some people didn't even think he was qualified even as an apostle. So he's way junior. But when P Paul rebukes Peter in public, Peter takes it. 
That's amazing. You know? It's like Pope taking a rebuke from a local pastor and actually saying, I was wrong. I made a mistake. That's not easy to do. Now that's brokenness. What about you? Do you admit your fault easily? Number four, you have a dosage of self-doubt. The most dangerous people are people who are so certain of themselves. Some, any medical doctors here? Oh, good for you. <laughs> because there's a professional disease. Doctors, I guess, because they have to make decisions and they have to feel so certain, although they're making wrong decisions all the time, they have to, they have to defend their decision. You know what I'm talking about. They make a lot of, I mean, I'm not bashing them, but this is the fact. They make a lot of mistakes, okay? But by profession, I guess they have to feel this, because it's about life and death. It's a very serious decision. So I guess they have to, they feel their decision has to be right, okay? So sometimes, doc, some doctors are most difficult, stubborn, stubbornest people. It becomes kind of your trait. I mean, every job has that kind of problem. If you're a lawyer or if you're an investment banker in New York, they're very, you know, hot-tempered. I mean, not all, but you, you know what I'm saying, generally. They, some jobs come with some problems, diseases, okay? Dangerous, okay? You have to have a dosage of self-doubt because when you're so certain, you become dangerous. And maybe some people, some, even some Christians think, I have to be so certain. Some Christians think there has, has to be no room for doubt. And here I'm talking about something larger. But that's not true. Do you know Paul had a revelation from Jesus Christ himself? But when all this bunch of people came and said, no, 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 you have to get circumcised. He actually wondered, did I get it right? And he went to Jerusalem to make sure that he was on the right track. You don't know what I'm talking about. Okay. It's in the Bible. Okay? It's in the Bible. Even St. Paul, after getting revelation from Jesus himself, he wondered. I mean, he was going for it, doing mission work and all over, but at a certain point, when all bunch of people came, he began to wonder, I mean, even, you know the story about John the Baptist? He said, this is the Messiah. God told me, this one is the Messiah. And after a while, he said, are you the one? I mean, did I get it right? I mean, my gosh. People who are the voice of God, they begin to wonder. I mean, was it God? Or was it my breakfast that day? I mean, like, weird, right? You have to have a little dosage of doubt. Otherwise, you don't hear anybody else. These are dangerous people. They don't have ear for anyone, anybody else's opinion. Number five, you're humble not only before God, but also before people. If some say, I'm humble because I'm humble before God, you're not humble. Let's face it. Okay? If you're humble only before God, you're proud. You're not humble. Until you're humble before God, before people, you are not humble. One of the astounding things that I know is, you know Heidi Baker. You know, many of you probably are a fan of Heidi Baker. I am. I, I, mean, I think I love her. Okay. But before she goes out to preach, this is in Africa, okay, <clears throat> typically, he has those little kids, like nine, ten-year-old kids, lay hands on her head as her head is on the ground. Pray for her. That's humility. I know that a lot of pastors would not have other lay people pray for them. Because they think, I'm a pastor. Who are you? Until we are humble before people, are not humble. Finally, 
I'm sure there are many more, but this is all I could think of. You do not seek your own glory. This is hard. This is something that I struggle with all the time. Okay? But at least in my mind, I know I'm not supposed to. <laughs> okay. They seek Christ's glory. And people who seek their own glory they do not turn out well. That was once again King Saul. It is not a good thing. So I always try to throw it down. And somehow it comes back up. Then I have to throw it down again. Okay. Sometimes daily and even moment by moment exercise. Now, what happens to broken, what happens with broken leaders? Uh, now, Christian leadership shares a lot of commonalities with secular leadership because leadership is leadership. But as I said earlier, Christian leadership is different because we are going a different direction. Actually, if you read leadership materials, you'll find a lot of the values that secular leadership literature is teaching is actually Christian values now. It used to be all about controlling and manipulating people. But it's all different now. Okay? They, they will not say it's Christian, but at the heart, it is what Christ taught. Okay, but care for your people. You know? Care for your employees. Do not think of them only as workers. They are whole people that you're dealing with. Right? You know, cr trust each other. You have to create an organization of trust. I'm all, these are all Christian values that are just seeping into secular literature. Okay? But anyway, so we're still talking about the heart. So, uh, so how will they be different? Christian leadership is leadership from brokenness. It is not out of our own strength or from our perfection. But it is leadership from broken and weak people whom God chose and qualifies and empowers. And as Paul said, as Paul heard from God, my power is made perfect in your weakness. And God's power rests upon us when we are weak. If you're not weak, God's power may come and leave. Okay? God can use anyone. God uses Samson. Completely unbroken man until the end. Okay? But God's power can come and leave. But when you are broken in the Lord, when you stay in, this, in that room of brokenness, His power comes to rest upon you, to work continually. So the nature of leadership and its fruits are different. It is humble leadership. It is inclusive leadership. When you're broken, you can accept sinners. I've served at churches where the elders came, and I was, when I was a youth pastor, they said, Pastor, can you get rid of those guys? These were like punks, okay, like gangster type of kids. And they didn't want their kids hang around with these kids. Unbelievable. It happens because they're not broken. If they were broken, they would say, we need to love them so that they can find God. It is a redemptive leadership. Let me close. <clears throat> Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Only the broken can heal the broken. Only the broken, broken can give rest to the weary. Only the broken can follow imperfect leaders. And every leader is imperfect. Only the broken can lead as Christ did. Let's pray. Let's take uh, some time to pray. And uh, I want to ask you, as you pray, I don't know how long you're going to pray. Okay. okay. I want to give you a few questions that you will reflect. Okay. One is obviously, are you broken? 
did God break you? Number two is, do you have the marks of brokenness? And which areas do you need to grow in? Okay, let's just reflect on these two things and go to the Lord prayers. If you're not broken, ask God to break you, and it is a pretty scary prayer, to be honest. It'll be good for you. Reflect upon different areas. Let's pray.